You're listening to the DJ Idea Sharing Podcast Network. Hey, everybody, I'm Mike Fernino. This is the DJ Idea Sharing Podcast Network. Let's talk business and marketing today. One won't work without the other. If the customer can't find you or know of your existence, you're not going to earn their business. Today on my archive series, we go back to 2008 at the Mobile Beach Show and Conference in Las Vegas. Rob Peters and I had the golden opportunity to interview with the show keynote presenter. In the world of marketing, he's an absolute rock star. Jay Conrad Levinson is the author of the best-selling series, Guerrilla Marketing. His books have sold everywhere around the world with a solid approach to marketing that applies to every business. I'd like to thank Ryan Berger from Mobile Beat Las Vegas, who lined up this interview and gave us a packed live audience forum. I'm certain you'll find this interview to be quite appealing <clears throat> as we talk guerrilla marketing today on the DJ Idea Sharing Podcast Network Archive. <laughs> Well, hello from Vegas 2008, the Mobile Beat DJ Show and Conference. This is DJ Idea Sharing. Hello, everybody. We are live. Hey! Live from the show. I would like to introduce my counterpart in crime, Mr. Rob Peters, right over here. Hi, everybody. How are we doing today? Hey. All right. We have... I have to tell you that this interview that we're doing today, Mike, is an absolute thrill because I am a guerrilla marketing junkie. You are sweating right and now. I, I am. I had to go upstairs and put water on my face because I couldn't believe this moment was here. I'm here with Jay Conrad Levinson, the father of guerrilla marketing, and we're going to be able to pick his brain a little bit and have some fun while we do it. Jay, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me here, Rob. I'm, I'm delighted, and I'm also a guerrilla marketing junkie. <laughs> well, great minds think alike, don't they? It's, give us an idea, if you would, how did this all come to be? I know that there's an article on Mobile Beat, this one's Mobile Beat, that talks a little bit about your background, but how did you come up with this idea? Of guerrilla marketing? Of guerrilla marketing. I was teaching at Berkeley. I was teaching a course in, uh, it was called Alternatives to the 9 to 5 Job. And I had people who wanted to run their own businesses in my class. I'd been teaching it for about two or three years. Classes kept getting larger. People liked the idea of working from their home and having an alternative to a nine-to-five job. One day, my students asked me to recommend a book for them on marketing because they said, we all have good ideas, but none of us have any money. And could you recommend a book for us? I, giving the wrong answer, said, sure. <laughs> so I went to the library at Berkeley to find such a book. Couldn't find it. I went across the bay to Stanford. Couldn't find it there. Looked in the libraries in San Francisco, Sacramento, Oakland, San Jose. Struck out, struck out, and struck out. But I had made a promise to my students, and I didn't want to let them down. So I made a list of all the ways I knew that people could market without investing any money. And it was called 527 Ways to Market Your Business Without Investing Any Money, which meant my heart was in the right place. It was a good service for my students, but it made a sucky title for a book. So I thought, <laughs> so I thought a better title would be Guerrilla Marketing, because these kids want conventional goals, but they had to use unconventional means. And that's really what Guerrilla Marketing is all about. Yes, guerrillas want the same thing, conventional goals using unconventional means. I have, and we talked before the broadcast, I have your second edition book. How many editions of Guerrilla Marketing are out now? 
I know you have a new one on the way. Oh, we have a new one that just came out, but there are four editions called Guerrilla Marketing. There are about 25 Guerrilla books, uh, but I've written 58 books. And so uh, it's hard to say which edition is which, because I talk about the concept of guerrilla marketing without using the words in other books that I have, have uh, written. And it, it, guerrilla marketing is available in also 40 some odd languages? 46 languages. So I don't understand 45 editions of my <laughs> own book. The newest one came out last week, which I wrote with my precious wife. It's called Startup Guide to Guerrilla Marketing, because the publisher said, you know, a lot of people have heard about guerrilla marketing, but they don't really know where to start. Would you write a startup guide? And I gave my usual answer, no way, but <laughs> realized I'd get help from my smart wife, my prolific wife, and so we did it together. And it turned out it's on the bestseller list already, if you go to any bookstore, at least the bookstores we've been seeing, it says number one business bestseller, start a Jay and Jeannie Levinson startup guide to guerrilla marketing. So that's really our week old book. And, uh, and you're already at number one. We're already at number one in business bestsellers, wow. yes. Well, I guess a lot of people wanted to know how to do it and didn't know where to start. And that book really tells them where to start. It turns out that it's a good book. It's also the first book I've ever had a co-author who I've slept with. <laughs> hey. Very nice. Well, Jay, how, how many, how many, um, I can't follow that up, can I? How, how many You're pieces? You're turning red and I'm speechless. Right. That, for you to be speechless, that's an amazing accomplishment in itself. Jay, how many pieces of the entire series has sold worldwide? How many pieces of the yeah. entire... Millions and millions, right? 15 million. Oh, my 15 God. 15 million copies we've sold so far, yes. Wow. And uh, GD keeps pointing out it's probably closer to 20 million because they're slow to report from the Middle Eastern countries in South America. Or the Middle... Uh, the Far Eastern countries, I should say. We just came back... We took a trip last year to Malaysia, the Philippines, Thailand, Japan, and we were amazed to see in all the bookstores copies of guerrilla marketing. That, that's really a, a, all an awesome experience and an underling experience because I could barely make out the title, but I, I knew what the book was about. I recognized <laughs> well, my Jay, name. I was going to say, you and Rob have something in common. You're both authors. You've sold 15 million books, and Rob has sold 15. <laughs> so. Been a little slow out of the gate, but that's another story. Speaking of publications, I know that you will offer a weekly tip by email for business people. True. And I get that every week religiously, and I'm actually holding in my hand here uh, the latest issue of Entrepreneur Magazine that is a co-article written by you and Jeannie about how to make a marketing plan, which leads me to my, my big question here. If you're using conventional means to make conventional results in your marketing, if you were to give any of our listeners, one piece of advice on making the transition, what would it be? Start with a seven-sentence guerrilla marketing plan. That's really easy. Anybody can write a seven-sentence plan. I gave my students five minutes to do it. So all it really takes to get started is five minutes of focused thinking covering five areas, uh, seven areas. That's the seven-sentence guerrilla marketing plan. That's how everybody should start. If they don't start with a plan, woe is them. It took me 10 minutes, because I read the article. I was on the plane, 
And I kept on repeating over and over and over again on my laptop. I had a DVD and Jerry Maguire, the whole show me the money, over and over and over again while I was doing it. We had uh, a previous podcast we did today, and you touched upon it briefly in your keynote about technology. When you first got started, technology with, with guerrilla marketing, technology was on its forefront. We didn't have too many things like the internet at that point in time. How has technology, is whenever something new comes out, do you have to sit down and write another book? Or how has technology impacted guerrilla marketing over, since its inception? Well, the big revolution that's taken place in technology in my lifetime is the simplicity of it. It used to be complicated. People say, well, it used to be expensive, it used to not be powerful, it used to not allow any versatility. And those things were true and those things have changed, but mainly it was so complicated that if you read a user manual, it was pretty much an invitation to a migraine. But that's changed because the people who write the user manuals have made them much simpler. Technology, you don't even need a user manual for much of it right now. And that's the big revolution. As a result, small businesses not only are able to afford it, and they're not only able to learn how to use it, but they're able to empower their small businesses and act just like the big spenders without the necessity to spend big. And small businesses now can afford to produce newsletters, which used to be expensive, or brochures. They're able to produce lots of multimedia materials, make dynamite proposals and presentations, which before would have cost them more money than a small business could afford. But with technology, anybody can afford to get into desktop publishing. And I know that whenever I have a question, I ask my grandchildren how to solve it, and they all have the answers because it's part of their DNA. If you had, you have in, in this article, and you actually offered it to the people here today, and I'm actually trying to find it as we do this, there were 200 things that, that you said we should have in a guerrilla marketing arsenal. And I'm sure that there are some that tie with the others. If there was one most important thing, what would you recommend? Uh, starting with a marketing plan. That's number one on my list of 200 weapons. I notice in Trumpenor only lists, uh, what, 199? 198. 198, so that's what space limitations are all about. <laughs> you don't know about that in the radio. But in print, I guess they ran into the lack of space. So there's 198. And it, I've often said, this is the most important weapon, this is the most important weapon, or that is. But really thinking about it, starting with a plan, a simple seven-sentence plan, is the most important weapon. I've done a lot of work for Proctor and Gamble, you know them, oh, yeah. in the United States and in Europe. And almost every brand they make is number one or number two in their product category. And all their products have a seven-sentence marketing plan. It may have 500 pages of documentation, but it starts with a very simple, anybody could understand it plan that won't put anybody to sleep when they read it. And I, I think that that's the single most important weapon. It costs nothing to create one. It takes very little time to create one. And you know, follow-up is an important weapon. One of the greatest hidden weapons that nobody knows about, and they beg me, it's the only weapon that my clients have said, please don't tell this to other people, we want this terrain all to ourselves. But I, I, I'm, I'm on a podcast, and you can't lie on a podcast or hold back. <laughs> No, no, you can't at all. <laughs> but you could be edited, of course. There are many community organizations in every community on the planet. And if you get in touch with the head of the, of the clubs and offer your services as a lunchtime speaker for no money and speak for only half an hour, 
maybe half of the people to 75% end up becoming paying customers. If you give them information of worth and value, if you do not try to sell them anything, if you just share information that really is going to help them, that's going to bring a lot of business your way, and it's not going to cost you any money. I have a client in Sacramento, California, and, uh, oh gee, I think Sacramento, we sold our home. Can I digress a little bit? Sure. We lived in San Francisco for 35 years. Uh, about five or six years ago, we sold our home overlooking San Francisco Bay, and we bought, of all things, an RV. We bought an RV and we toured the United States for four and a half years visiting national parks and grandchildren. We have about, there's an equal number of national parks and grandchildren in our lives. And we just drove around and um, you know, parked in beautiful places all the time. And uh, that was, that's how we, well, we ended up in Orlando because the majority of our 26 grandchildren live in Orlando. And that, that's why and it, the land we bought happened to have a house on it. So that's why we ended up living there. Now, what got me to this point? What, what was your question that I suddenly got lost on? <laughs> <laughs> what I said again? Sacramento. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, Sacramento. Yes, so we sold our home. Who bought it? Arnold Schwarzenegger's attorney. I said, I said to him, I said, you work in Sacramento. That's an hour and a half away from here. That's a heck of a commute, three hours a day. He says, well, I was brought up in this neighborhood. He says, and now I can afford to buy a house here. He says, no, I don't mind the commute, and I'd like a good place to retire, so that's why I'm buying your house. So I sold him the house, which he proceeded immediately to rip down and build a mansion. But the, <laughs> the point I was making was I had a client in Sacramento who ran a string of urgent care centers. And we came up with a marketing plan that called for television advertising. And we produced television commercials and full-page newspaper ads. And we produced those and, speak, and postcards to people in the zip code. And uh, offering the, the two doctors who ran the urgent care centers, offering them a chance to be speakers at clubs. So they said, we're not very good at speaking. I said, but you're good at medicine. If you're good at medicine, obviously you're going to be good at public speaking. So, so they started speaking at clubs. After a month, they said, let's cancel our television. Let's cancel our newspaper ads. And all we want to do is keep giving the talks. And my brother and I don't want to do it. We've got two nurses here, and we've hired another nurse to do nothing but talk to community organizations. They've built themselves into a very profitable organization, spending zero money because all they do is speak to clubs, and they're constantly booked because all clubs want free speakers to come in and speak for half an hour and not sell anything. So I've told these to other people pretty much around the world, and they all tried, and they all say, God, is that easy? Don't tell anybody else about it. <laughs> the little secret right here on DJ Idea Sharing. We love secrets. We do. Well, we're going to do a little bit of our own guerrilla marketing right now, and we're going to take a break for a commercial. But when we get back, more with the author of Guerrilla Marketing, Jay Conrad Levinson. And you are listening to the DJ Idea Sharing Podcast Network, live from Las Vegas 2008. Make some noise! DJ Idea Sharing returns live from Las Vegas after the break. The DJ Idea Sharing Podcast Network is brought to you by the American Disc Jockey Association. We help DJs build and grow their business online at www.adja.org. If we work together, imagine what we can do. (laughs) 
We're back live with more DJ idea sharing from the 2008 Mobile Beat DJ Show and Conference in Las Vegas. And we're back from Vegas live, the Mobile Beat DJ Show and Conference 2008 at the Riviera Hotel. And our studio audience is here. They're excited. They're happy. They're having fun. We are brought to you today by the American Disc Jockey Association. We help DJs build and grow their business. SureGlow, online, the best glow product anywhere at SureGlow.com. And Mike Walters, brand new training system. It can't be beat if you have multi-system operation. you got to get it. Training your next great DJ. Okay, Rob, we're going to turn things back over to you, and uh, we'll continue the interview with Jay Conrad Levinson. Jay was talking before the break, we were talking about public speaking, and there was another point you wanted to add into it. Yes, I forgot one of the most important things I have to say about public speaking. That is, a, that is the greatest fear in the United States, is the fear of public speaking. And the second greatest fear is the fear of death. Now, if you follow that reasoning, it means that at a funeral, you are better off in the casket than delivering the <laughs> eulogy. But you've got to get past that fear of public speaking in order to take advantage of that enormously effective guerrilla marketing weapon. That's funny. That, that, I've, I've heard that phrase before, and I actually read it uh, somewhere on the internet, but it's true. Mahoney said it on the podcast. Yes. Uh, one of our correspondents, Maho we call him Mahoney. He's from Maine. We forgive him for that, but uh, he's a, uh, he, uh, he says that all the time. Uh, before we dive in, we, we talked during the break, and there was a story you brought up this morning, but I'm going to delve. I'm just going to ask a little teeny tiny personal question. How long have you and your wife been married? Nine years. Nine years. Big wedding celebration? Yes, we got married on Christmas, so it's an easy anniversary. There you go. To remember. And our daughter just got married on Christmas Day at our house in, in uh, Altad, Orlando. So we have to know, did you have a DJ or a band for the celebration? Here we go. Following your ceremony. <laughs> Jeannie covers her head. <laughs> we have, we have a, a built-in uh, DJ in our family who is, uh, he knows every hip-hop song there is on the earth. And he is familiar with all the technology that you use. He was our, our in-house DJ. You heard it first. They had a DJ. Yeah, there you go. There you go. What would you I, have done if he said, I had a band? I would have asked Steve to edit. Anyway, right. we're moving on. All right, um, this morning you talked about the story about the furniture store, which kind of gave, led us into the... Uh, differences between traditional and guerrilla marketing. I, I would really love it if you told that story for the people that weren't here with us, and even a refresher for our live studio audience. Well, it's one of my favorite stories because it really illustrates what guerrilla marketing is all about. There was a little furniture store all alone having life to himself, and one day he got to work and he noticed a building under construction to the right of his store, and he watched the building go up and was appalled several weeks later to learn that it was another furniture store much larger than his and directly on his right. That made him feel terrible, but not as bad as what happened when he got to work. A few weeks later, he saw another building going up to the left side of his door, and this was also a large building, and, and he was just so depressed when he saw that that building was also turning into a furniture store, again, much larger than his. So here he was flanked on both sides by big competitors much larger than him. Is that bad enough? No. Here's what's bad enough. He got to work one day and he saw that the store on the right had unfurled a large banner that said, huge clearance sale, prices slashed 60%. 
and he thought their banner was bigger than my entire store, but when he looked at the star on his left, they had unfurled a huge banner too, and they said, reduction of all prices in this sale, prices slash 75%, and again, the banner was bigger than his entire store. Instead of going into a state of depression, uh, he went into his store and created his own sign, which he unfurled in front of it, and it said, main entrance. <laughs> Smart. So, that, that, so that's what guerrilla marketing is really all about. It means not spending the money. Let other people spend the money. It's the brute force of your imagination rather than the brute force of, of your budget that's going to give you success as a guerrilla marketer. Jay, real quick question. What would you recommend for a disc jockey who doesn't have a very large advertising budget? Would it be more prudent uh, to have a high-quality piece that you mail out only one, or have maybe a lesser quality piece that you can uh, mail out multiple pieces to the prospective client? What do you think would work better? I, I love the question, for one thing, Mike. That's just so on the button, because it's an easy answer. The answer is many pieces, because the way guerrilla marketing and all marketing works is through repetition. And if you make high impact one time, where's the repetition? But if you have lesser impact pieces that you mail out on a regular basis, the repetition is going to win the day and the dollar for you. Well, they say that what you want to do is get into the subconscious of the consumer so the point where when they finally need your product, it's, they just all of a sudden they think of your name instantly because now they recognize you. And I think, what is it, the percentage is a, a consumer is 85% more likely to purchase something that they recognize compared to something that they don't. That's exactly right, Mike. That's exactly the truth. And the reality is that um, what people think they should be aiming for in business is share of market. But the reality is they should be going after share of mind. Share of mind leads to share of market. And if you go after share of mind, that's much more inexpensively achieved. And that's why your example of people know about your product. They're 85% more likely to buy it. And they don't think in terms of how beautiful the colors were right. or the production values. They think in terms of, gee, that's the first company that comes to my mind. That's because you've achieved share of mind. Well, I'll relate this to the current season. I'm, I'm right now, I'm in the middle of my bridal show season. And as DJs, and we primarily cater to wedding clients. So we have the opportunity to go out and meet a lot of these brides at the shows and have our trade show booth and shake hands. And I know that many of them on the third time will come up and say, we've seen you at a couple other shows and uh, we're very interested. And it's, it's funny because now they've seen me a couple times. Now they recognize us and they want to start the dialogue where they weren't ready at that very first time or not even on the second time, but on the third time, now they felt comfortable to approach us because they've seen us multiple times and it created the image that we were a player in the, uh, in the market and we were serious about what we were doing. Well, that, that's really the way it works. Uh, Campbell Soup conducted a study and the study was undertaken to find out how many people own products as a result of marketing or advertising. So they'd knock on doors and they'd say, how many products do you own as a result of marketing or advertising? And the majority of people uh, who didn't slam the door in their face were able to name two things that they bought as a result of advertising. And the research said, may I come into your house and look around, look in your refrigerator, look in your pantry, look in your closet, and ask you questions about the products? And uh, only the people who said yes were counted in the study. So the study ended up being 10,000 people. 
And when they walked into the house and they looked at a person's pantry or cupboard or refrigerator, they'd say, well, here's Heinz ketchup. Why did you buy that? Well, they said, it's not the advertising. It's because I've heard of it. And they found out the labels on the clothes. They say, well, it's not because of their advertising. It's because I've heard of that brand. Right. And it turns out that the average person owns 22 things in their house because of advertising, but they're not aware of that. They just, uh, they just don't know how strongly pervasive marketing is. They don't realize they were influenced, but they were influenced, all of us. Well, it's just like we go to a fast food restaurant and we say, we'll have the burger fries and we'll have a Coke. And then they say, uh, we have Pepsi. Is that okay? Sure. But you, you just said Coke, you know. It's just because it's kind of embedded in there as that trademark is in there solid. Um, it's same thing, why does Budweiser have to advertise on the Super Bowl? We all know it, but I guess they want to, I guess out of mind, out of sight, have we all heard that before? That's really right. That, that's exactly right. Yeah, you've got to maintain that because if you think you can get away with no longer marketing, you're wrong because out of sight, out of mind is exactly the way it works. And other people are always trying to woo away your customers and they can do it if you drop from sight. It's one of the silliest things to ever do is to think, well, I can save money by stopping marketing. That's like saying, and I can save time by stopping my wristwatch. It just doesn't work that way. Right. <laughs> what, are, what are some of the companies that you've helped uh, over the years achieve uh, a greater financial uh, status? Wow. Microsoft, Apple, Hewlett Packard, Procter & Gamble, Green Giant, Kellogg's, Pillsbury, United Airlines, Pan American Airlines. That's just the start. I mean, I've worked for giant advertising agencies, and uh, that gave me the good fortune of being able to work on a lot of very well-known brands. And uh, uh, I'm hoping that the things I did helped all of them grow, even though I'm a little ashamed that I helped Marlboro grow and lots of other cigarette brands. But in those days, we didn't know. I mean, when we did the original Marlboro commercials, we would draw a tattoo with a ballpoint pen on the cowboy's hands because that was a sign of masculinity. And we finally, when the commercial, when the advertising was pervasive throughout the United States, we got a letter from the government asking us to change something. And they didn't tell us to stop advertising cigarettes because they cause cancer, because no one knew that at the time. They said, please stop showing tattoos on the cowboy's hands because a lot of kids are seeing those tattoos and going to shifty, uh, spurious uh, tattoo parlors and getting infections. So they asked us to please remove the tattoos. And we said, well, they're not real tattoos. They're drawn by art directors with ballpoint pens. They said, well, could you please stop doing that? They should have said, stop advertising cigarettes, too. They didn't know about that, and so we removed the tattoos. So I've helped a lot of companies grow, you know, Green Giant. You can go through the supermarket or the pharmacy and see so many products. Excedrin Headache was one of my inventions, or the loneliest, man, the loneliest repairman in town, the Mate for Maytag. I just working, worked at the right places at the right time, and being a member of the creative department, I had the, the blessing to work on these really lots of fun accounts with clients that were wide open. Uh, even Gallo, I, I worked on them. Uh, they weren't that wide open. But uh, I've had the good fortune of being connected with lots of famous national brands right now. And I'm proud of almost everything except the Marlboro, but I'm really proud of the marketing we did for them. Now, I, I'll, I'll ask one more, and then uh, Rob, I'll let you, uh, you know, take it out. Um, for we ha let's just say for our listeners, which 
mostly will be disc jockeys, entertainers. Uh, if there's someone out there who is new and they're getting started and they are trying to get a greater market share, what would you recommend as a good plan for a DJ, a budding entrepreneur who is just getting started out, who wants to really get the name out there and really get a nice jump instead of waiting a long time to slowly build their business? Boy, I really hate saying this because it sounds so self-serving, but I am honor-bound to give the most honest answer. And I'd say that the majority of people think they know about advertising and marketing because they all have opinions about what's good or bad at marketing or advertising, so they wing it. And you can't wing it. You can't do brain surgery on your, uh, by yourself. I heard last night on television that Heather McCartney, Heather Mills McCartney, is going to take on her own legal case. She's going to be her own lawyer against Paul <laughs> for these hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's about the same as deciding I, I want to be a famous disc jockey and I'll do it myself. I say you got to start with a very simple book and our newest books, A Startup Guide to Guerrilla Marketing. We wrote that for those kind of people to avoid them starting out in the wrong direction and to let them know that this is not, this is not a do-it-yourself project. It's something that you've got to get a little bit of help at least at first. And then you can do, well, you can do a lot because then it taps into your DNA and by instinct you proceed ahead doing the right things. But if you start from scratch, going only on your opinions, you're not going to do it right. So many companies, so many people have lost money thinking they can do it themselves because after all, they have opinions, they keep seeing television commercials, so they assume, I can do that. And probably they're right, but there's lots that they might overlook as well. Heather Mills, well, I, I don't predict, I, I, she's definitely not going to come out of this divorce badly, but she's not going to come out nearly as well if she had hired an attorney. For, uh, Paul's attorney is Prince Charles' attorney. So she's up against Bill Charles' attorney, and she's going to do it herself. And she may be a sweetie. Everybody says she is a sweetie. But I bet she's not a good lawyer. I, I have a law degree. I would never dream of doing anything for myself when it comes to law. My next question, you have worked with ProDJ on developing a audio series that is for sale here at the show that basically is geared towards the wedding industry. Uh, how did that all come about? I know, obviously, Ryan has had you booked, I know, for about a year, because I can remember him pulling me aside going, you won't believe who the keynote is next year. Yeah, he was all charged up And this was this. before we even heard from the keynote from last year. And he says, I got Jay Carmer Levinson, and I dropped what I had in my hands because I was thrilled. How did it all come about that you got involved with ProDJ and ProDJ Publishing? Uh, he had just read my book, and because our company's other name is Nepotism Central, he called my daughter, who books all my time and all my, everything with my schedule, and asked how he gets access to me. And I'm very easy to access if you go through my daughter first. <laughs> so, so she told him how to get in touch with me, and then he said the magic words, I've read your book and I loved it. And then I was putty in his hands. So it, 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 came about, it came about by him having read a book and then finding how easy it was to get in touch with the author. So you're going to take Rob Peterson as your 25th grandchild now then, right? <laughs> 27th grandchild. 27th. God bless you guys. So, um, you know, I have one last question. This is kind of the biggie. When I, I've read several of your books, and I know that you profiled 
certain businesses that have taken guerrilla marketing to a pinnacle, I guess is the way to word it, basically has taken guerrilla marketing and practically applied it. Is there one story that really sets one particular business, a success story or methodology that they've used guerrilla marketing on that sets them apart from the rest? Well, I, I can give you two stories. Okay. One, I'm telling you because it's personal to you, and it has to be the worst application in the history of life about guerrilla marketing, and it took place in Boston. And it took oh, place, do you know what I'm going to say, don't you? <laughs> took place in Boston last year. The company that was, the, was advertising yep. on the Cartoon Network, they were mm -hmm. advertising a new show, and they put up things that looked like electronic devices near transportation facilities. And this was sort of just post 9-11, and they were not sensitive to the post 9-11 mentality, and the people in Boston went bonkers when they saw that, justifiably so. And the newspapers called it guerrilla marketing gone awry. And that's not guerrilla marketing. Guerrilla marketing <laughs> says anything that offends anybody or terrifies anybody, it's not guerrilla marketing. And I wrote a letter to the, to the mayor of Boston, and I said, stop referring to that as guerrilla marketing, because that's not guerrilla marketing. And I sent him a copy of the book and showed him what guerrilla marketing really is. So that's the worst application of guerrilla marketing I have ever heard of and seen. By the way, just so you know, I live south of Boston, so I don't know the mayor personally. <laughs> Were you one of the people terrified, thinking you were under Actually, attack? I was caught in the traffic jams because the, the, they were putting these up all over Boston and calling the bomb squad. So the bomb squad would show up, close a four or five block radius, and I'm trying to get to a job in downtown Boston, of all things. And when they, it was funny because when, when the mayor ever said it was guerrilla marketing gone awry, I'm like, there's, there's no way. He doesn't understand. And it, was, it caused chaos. The bomb squad did a record number of calls that day just because of that one thing. And the, the two clowns that were you know, hired by the company to go do it made it a circus. Now they've changed their names. It's a year later. They changed their names. And now they're doing things completely different unaffiliated with the marketing that they were doing before. I know. And, you know, Turner Broadcasting was um, fined a million dollars for that. And, and I didn't see a dime of it. <laughs> traffic was tied up for two and a half hours in Boston, and you were one of the guys. I apologize. No, it's, well, it's not your fault, believe me. It, it was just circumstances that, and it, being from Boston, I can say that, yes, sometimes we do have a tendency to overreact uh, when it comes to that thing, but their methodology in Boston is better safe than sorry. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, I'll tell you the best story, the best story, my favorite story, and I do have a lot, is that there were once a group of dirt poor farmers in southern Minnesota, and they grew vegetables, but they didn't have a way of competing with the big, the big sellers of vegetables, and yet they grew good veggies. And they wondered how they can sell their vegetables against the giants and how they can get supermarkets to carry their stuff. Of course, there were no supermarkets then. They were just produce markets. So they got together and they thought what they ought to do is come up with a name, band together in what we now call fusion marketing. Let's combine our research, let's, resources, let's combine our brains, and let's come up with a name where we're all operating under that same umbrella. So they decided, well, we sell, we sell good produce, 
and we sell it in a large valley, so let's call ourselves Green Giant. And they thought, well, how can we get kids to eat vegetables, because kids do not like vegetables. So they hired a Disney animator to design a label with the Green Giant on them. And then they put those uh, labels on the cans, they put their peas and whatever else in the cans, and then they went to stores, and stores thought, yeah, kids might like this. So they started carrying green, green giant vegetables. Now, Green Giant is a huge behemoth, and people look at them and they say, well, they're just a big company. But they were a bunch of dirt poor farmers with no money, but a concept of called, now it's called guerrilla marketing then, it was called survival. They had to do something in order to survive and cause their farms to not go under, because this was happening right, at, right after the Big Depression, not the one that Bush just identified. I'm talking about the one in, 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 <laughs> in the late 20s. Jay, if people wanted to learn more about guerrilla marketing or subscribe to, I know I mentioned the free email tip, where can they go? gmarketing.com. We spelled it like that because Nobody could spell gorilla. 85% of the letters we get, they misspell gorilla. And, and the, the two of the hardest words I've ever heard of being spelled are gorilla and entrepreneur. But we have a book that came out last year called The Gorilla Entrepreneur. So we did it right by calling it gmarketing.com. But people go there, they can find out how to get the daily tips, how to join the association, how to come to our main event that takes place starting in mid-March and goes on for eight weeks after that. They can find the 200 weapons of guerrilla marketing there. They can get a treasure trove of marketing information for nothing at that site. It's the largest marketing site online, but it still happens to be fun, not complicated, and will give nobody a migraine. Awesome. Very good. Jake Conrad Levinson, let's give him a big hand, everybody. Come on, give it up for him, everybody. Thank you so much. The DJ Idea Sharing Podcast is brought to you by NLFX Professional and Promo Only.